Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Mark Becker, a podcast produced by Georgia State University. You can find this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as watch it on YouTube. In this and future podcasts, I sit down with leaders who are shaping the future of higher education in America and beyond. We'll dive into the challenges and opportunities facing higher education and explore policies and practice that show promise of a brighter future. Hope that you will find these conversations stimulating and thought-provoking, and if you do, please subscribe so that you will not miss future episodes. Again, I'm your host, Georgia State President Mark Becker, and today my guest is Dr. Rafael Bras, the Provost of Georgia Institute of Technology. Welcome to the podcast, Rafael. Nice seeing you, Mark. Thank you for having me over. I'm thrilled to have you on the show and uh, really excited to sit down and talk with you about uh, an effort that you've led in your provost role, the Georgia Tech Commission on Creating the Next in Education. So could you just start off by telling our listeners and viewers a little bit about what that, the work of the commission was and what it's doing? Yes, the, the commission comes uh, after years of, frankly, brooding over uh, what needs to change. Mm-hmm. I think institutions like Georgia Tech uh, are sometimes too comfortable, and yeah. the reality is that the world around us is changing very fast. Mm-hmm. So we know that demographics uh, of students are changing, the way they're learning are changing, what interests them is changing, what society demands is changing, the knowledge base is just accelerating at an incredible rate. Uh, we know that in fact um, the, the employees and students of the future will look different, uh, the racially, ethnically, gender-wise, uh, and we have to adjust. We, we tend to do what works in the past, uh, and as long as nothing breaks, we, we're <laughs> sort of happy. But that's not enough. I, I would like to think that Georgia Tech, like you at Georgia State, we are innovative institutions, and we want to stay ahead. And yeah. that's what motivated that. You know, Georgia Tech's a great university, and you guys have always been pioneers in technology. So for me, it's exciting to see taking up this work of the future of higher education. You know, as I frequently say that complacency is the greatest enemy absolutely, of higher education. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, but change change doesn't come easy to a lot of people. You know, change is threatening, uh, particularly if you've been doing the same thing or this, doing things the same way, such as teaching your classes or conducting your research labs. So um, as the commission got going, was, was it an easy lift, a heavy lift? You know, what, what was the experience like of trying to bring together, you know, people from around the Institute to talk about a future that looks very different than what made Georgia Tech great as it is today? Honestly, in many ways, it was opportunistic. Um, it, it came about as I was walking to uh, announce a reorganization of our uh, educational enterprise in terms of the groups that think of how to improve education. And I wanted to create a different ecosystem uh, of the various groups that, re- that work on that field. And in walking over, I, if I'm ever going to do this, this is the chance because yep. everybody was excited. The actors aligned uh, at this point in time. So I would argue that doing it earlier would not have worked when doing it later would have been too late. Uh, and so I just announced it. And uh, at that point, then went out to the drawing board and uh, figure out how we we're going to do it. We created a commission led by two very dedicated individuals, uh, Boniferi and Rich DeMillo. They're knowledgeable, they're passionate. And then it was inclusive. We started with a group that went as high as 60 people. 
uh, with the uh, mandate to increase the sphere of influences. And they were not given any particular timeline. Mm -hmm. They said, I want to do it before I go. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but they... So five years, <laughs> ten years was not a good option. That wasn't a good option. <laughs> so, but they went ahead and uh, completed the work with uh, at their pace, engaging people in uh, a little under two years, mm -hmm. uh, and produced a, a report that has been very useful for us, and I believe very useful to many. So it was that idea of empowering people, that idea of saying, take your time, have the discussion, prepare well. That that's that beginning part was very important. Oh, the piece I have to take out of that story and highlight is just you, you, you demonstrated one of the great examples of strong leadership, which is you recognized an opportunity and, and you just went for it. You didn't sit around and cogitate on it and debate and debate. You, you saw it and you grabbed it and you ran with it. And I'd yeah. say it's a great success at this point. It was. I feel very good, although at the beginning when I – told my chief of staff walking over that I was going to do that. She said, are you crazy? <laughs> well, that's part of leadership. Sometimes you have to be a little bit crazy. <laughs> well, you, you, there, I guess, uh, as I understand it, there had been a little bit of preparing of the ground, though. You'd had a previous effort around uh, studying drivers of change, and so you had the ground prepared in that sense. Had you had broad conversations around campus? You know, you mentioned earlier, you know, changes in demographics, you know, changes in the way people work. So did that help prepare the ground so that you, when you saw this door or this opportunity open, you were ready? Well, actually, the drivers of change, Mark, were part of this. Okay. Uh, so when they started the commission, the, the first element, and they spent at least the first okay. six to eight months just doing this, just looking, uh, what are the drivers of change? Everybody okay. knew we talked about it. Everybody had an idea of, of why are we doing this, but okay. they try to then benchmark, quantify, look at the data, mm -hmm. Uh, and so Drill on. down, dig in deeper. And, and, and that was incredibly useful. Like it goes right. to the concept of it's worth spending time early on preparing yeah. the ground and doing that brainstorming that then creates the foundation for the yeah. future. Okay. So out of the work of the commission came five initiatives, um, one on the whole person, one on new products and services, uh, third, advising for a new era, fourth, AI and personalization, and... Um, fifth around distributed worldwide presence. So first, uh, you know, the one that catches my eye is because I know the story of Jill Watson is AI and personalization. So, you know, wh where do you see, you know, as you look out to the future, you look at already what Georgia Tech is doing in this space and being a real leader in, the, in AI and personalization. Uh, wh where do you see this kind of work going and really disrupting higher ed in, in ways that are going to change how, how we you know, conduct our business in universities, whether it's education or otherwise. Well, maybe I, I, I go back a few years. I, I've been in the business of education for a long time in a couple of other institutions prior to Georgia Tech. And like you, I'm sure you remember the times AI is the promise and it always fails, so, flat on its face. I was writing computer, code, <laughs> writing computer code in the 1970s and they kept telling me AI was going to get rid of computer programmers in my lifetime, that we wouldn't have people writing code and don't waste my time being writing computer code because it, it wasn't going to be a job. It just never worked. But I must uh, argue, and I think the rest of the world agrees, that the time has come, that yeah. finally... Uh, this is real. Uh, it's been advances in computing. It's been advances on data analytics uh, and the combination of both that has made it possible. 
That's true for any industry, for any business, and it's certainly true for education. What you referred to as Jill Watson was in uh, our online programs, one that I'll love to talk to you about sure. later. Uh, one of the professors decided that he was going to uh, develop an AI agent that would serve as a TA mm -hmm. during a class of AI, by the way. The students at that point were not aware that Jill Watson was, that Jill was, Watson was, was, was a, a machine. Yes, that was a, a bot. Uh, and as time went on, Jill Watson became quite knowledgeable, was able to answer accurately a, a large, the great, great majority of questions. There was always a human uh, overseeing, making mm -hmm. sure that, that if something failed, they could intervene. Uh, and it was an unbelievable, an unbelievable success, and it wasn't uh, even more so when they learned that it was a machine. Uh, so that, uh, I think, uh, has empowered us and, and convinced us more and more that we need to do more of this. It, it is efficient. It serves the purpose. It answers very much most of the questions that most teaching assistants have to deal with most of the time, and then save the the person-to-person -person contact for the more relevant yeah. uh, things that students that machines probably are not quite yet there. Well, it's as, as I recall it, hearing it, and tell me if this is true, is that Joe Watson was was the highest rated TA for that particular <laughs> course. Yeah, I don't know whether I cannot vouch completely, but I know that that uh, Joe Watson was nominated for the, the the TA of the year, and mm -hmm. uh, and in fact now Jill has uh, in development several cousins and sisters and brothers. She probably has an Instagram feed as well. <laughs> well, actually, in, in, in talking about that, you also touched on um, one of my favorite topics, because when you do start raising the prospect of a bot being the TA um, and of technology coming into the classroom and changing how we teach, um, you know, some people, you know, think, okay, you're going to try to get rid of the professors. That's the goal. And my answer to that is no, that the faculty actually need to be there to do what the faculty do best. Absolutely. And what the faculty do best is work with the students, particularly at, at the higher levels, the more advanced courses. Um, and, you know, I say the most powerful thing a faculty member ever does is, whether it's metaphorically or real, put the hand on the shoulder of a student and say, have you thought about, you know, have you thought about uh, going to graduate school in aerospace engineering? Have you thought about becoming a doctor? And doing things that machines aren't particularly good at. It's that mentoring role that yeah. we humans do better at and, mm -hmm. and that, in fact, I believe faculty and advisors uh, should be doing more of. And so uh, there are a lot of roles that advisors uh, do that, uh, that, that really and truly are auditing type activities and, and machines can do that right. very, very well and very effectively. Uh, so finding that right mix uh, is important, but I believe uh, we and many others are going to be moving in that direction. Well, it's, you know, if we look at what I'll call manual labor, uh, anything that can be routinized has been, has been transitioned from a human to a machine. Right. And as I look at college curricula, for example, in the large introductory courses, uh, the courses don't vary that much from faculty, faculty member to faculty member, university to university. So, you know, like the promise of AI, it may not be next year, may not be next fall, but I think within our lifetimes, we'll see um, a, a whole different way of using technology to uh, conduct the classes, convey the information around what I'd call 
um, courses that are largely commodities taught at every university in large numbers, day in and day out. Like what I used to teach, introduction to statistics. Okay. You know, it's, it's as good or bad as I thought I was. It wasn't that much different than anybody else. We use we all basically teach the same material, use the same textbooks. So I, I see change coming there, but I see faculty having a pivotal role um, in the human interaction, the mentoring, the guiding, the inspiring uh, role, as, as well as uh, working on some higher order thought processes that uh, happen on a smaller scale, so they're not easily routinized or turned in, um, done by machines. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, and, and maybe it opens uh, the opportunity to talk a little bit about new products, uh, sure. because what, what you're talking about is that, in, not across the board, but certainly some courses and early on in the fundamentals, Content is a commodity. It yes. is nowadays yep. ubiquitous. You can find it anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not the content that is going to differentiate a Georgia Tech or Georgia State. It's the way that it's done. Mm -hmm. It's the way you engage the student. It's how excited they're about it. Uh, and to do that, you have to really and truly get into the mindset of these individuals and figure, how are they learning? Mm -hmm. uh, what is it that I can do? and uh, to help them grow not only in that acquiring a particular set of facts or content, but in growing as a person. And that's where the, the faculty member will always yep. be necessary. But, but as you know, we, we have very successful online programs where faculty are teaching uh, completely online. These are high-quality master's degrees. Uh, and I don't think by doing that, we have sacrificed anything. In fact, we have enhanced but otherwise will be a commodity content. Well, let's go there and go deeper because you, you, uh, you Georgia Tech, really pioneered, um, if you will, doing low-priced, high-quality master's degrees at scale, starting with your master's of science in computer science. So could you tell our um, listeners and viewers a little bit about you know, what, what it is you've done to basically be able to produce the, you know, the highest possible quality master's degree in computer science uh, to do it on a scale that I think is global, you know, because that's another mm -hmm. one of your um, initiatives is around mm -hmm. worldwide reach, uh, but to do it at a price point that had previously not been seen in this space. Yeah. Well, I think we, a little over five years ago, uh, with the initiative of the College of Computer and, and certainly its dean, uh, Svigalil, uh, we embark on, on what really was, if I may say, quite bold and risky, and that is to to take one of our residential master programs from one of the top colleges yeah. of science, of computer science and computing in the nation and offer a master's degree that has no difference to what we do residentially. It's mm -hmm. the same title, it's the same piece of paper, it's taught by the same faculty. Uh, it was sort of different because it was the first time that any research university of our stature was willing to give a degree that way. Completely an, e an equal only. degree. An equal degree, not, not, not differentiated in any right. fashion. The other way that it was different is that it is incredibly affordable, which goes to the to the issue that we started the conversation with, you know, what are the what are the, the the elements of change? What is mm -hmm. changing out there? Affordability. We talk about the right the the, the iron triangle: the accessibility, affordability, and excellence. Can mm -hmm. they occur at the right. same time? We believe it can. I know you believe right. it can be. When you're doing uh, it. And, and in the online programs, it allows us to make it accessible to people that could not drop what they were doing and come to Atlanta. Uh, we certainly have the excellence already in the programs. 
And the affordability, you can get that degree still to this day, the whole degree for about $7,000. We now have a program in data analytics and we have a program on cybersecurity on the same model. The, the, frankly, the magic formula is excellence. And look at good people, go worldwide and certainly nationwide. Most of the students are US based. <laughs> uh, and affordable, and for that you need volume. To okay. have that type of price point, you need large numbers. Uh, that computer science program has now approaching, uh, it's over 9,000 students now. Okay. On an annual basis or what? what Enroll about 9,000. We are graduating uh, every year now approximating, uh, approaching easily over 1,000. I don't have the exact okay, number. That, that's, that's impressive. That's yeah. really quite So to, to the point that we're, we produce uh, over 8% of all the master's degrees in computer science in the nation and to the point that we had it to add a graduation because they come to graduation. They want to come they, to they graduation. They want to come get that Georgia Tech and they, and, they, and they are very much Georgia Tech alums, which, which was a concern yes. of ours, right. as you would expect. Yeah. We, we pride ourselves on the identification that our students have with the institution, the pride, and they have it. So they have the pride. They have they have the same quality product. Absolutely. But, but before you went online, do you have any idea about how many student graduates you were producing a year in computer science? Well, I, I can tell you. Th I, I can tell you that in computer science, for that master's degree, we were admitting uh, less than a hundred, on the order of seventy. So over mm -hmm. a two-year period, you had a class to round it up, about 150. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the so, difference is extraordinary. So, so this is a scale project, not only in terms of making it affordable online, yes. but also extending the reach of Georgia Tech and, and you know, its master's program. A, an order of magnitude to satisfy yeah. a need out there yeah. uh, that, that even with this uh, is not fulfilled. The, the, right. the, the need is enormous. Well, that's, uh, as you mentioned, you've gone into other spaces. Do, do you have a rigorous process or is it pretty much a back of the envelope when you think about will there be another one and where will it be? We, we analyze what the market is. Yeah. That's the key because as I said, as much as I would like to, to have a, a, an experiment with many subject matter to scale it and if you want to keep it at that price point and we're the only institution that have done that until very recently there's one other institution doing it at the same price mm -hmm. point. But uh, to do that, you need volume. So you need subject matter that, that the demand is clear, right. that the yep. opportunities are clear, that, that there's a hungry, a hunger out there for employers and people to do so. Uh, I joke, I'm a hydrologist. I love <laughs> hydrology. I would love to be the professor <laughs> of hydrology online, but the numbers will the, the, not. The, 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 the demand's not there for hydrology. The demand is not there for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, with um, rising sea levels, maybe that'll change. Uh, maybe that will change. <laughs> well, it's um, one more piece I want to uh, dig into before we wrap up this conversation, and, and who knows, perhaps we'll have future conversations. I hope so. Uh, but in in the report, in the commission's report, you, there's a talk of the culture of a deliberately deliberately innovative organization. 
And so, you know, just how is Georgia Tech, how's, how's Rafael Bross thinking about creating the culture of a deliberately innovative organization? Uh, Mark, that, that is, of all the report, that's the hardest part. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a tough, that's that, a tough that is yep. That is the hardest part but by, by far because it involves dimensions of inherently changing mindset and culture, inherently yep. changing processes. Now, academic institutions... Uh, are not, unfortunately, we're not particularly known everywhere for being uh, agile. No, uh, we're referred to as a mature industry. Mature <laughs> industries are not known to be agile or change-oriented. Yeah. Now, ha having said that, by the yeah. way, I actually think that's a little bit of a myth. Uh, yeah. I think we do change. You have demonstrated yeah. that uh, very well. We have demonstrated yeah. that we can turn much faster than some of right. our neighboring large corporations uh, and make the decisions yeah, now yep. uh, so but how do you create that deliberately innovative culture is is education is mindset we're putting faculty through a training that was that is an accelerator mm -hmm. of how do you do startups okay yep. so that that creating that mindset so think of how do you start up in education in 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 the environment of a georgia tech so we're doing that quite explicitly step by step is that through rich DeMillo's shop or well we have a is is working through rich DeMillo's shop so the center for 21st century university right. with another group providing the service okay terrific. Uh, and that's working very well it's a challenge because it's resources it's numbers yeah. and and so on but it, it, it slowly makes a difference the other part of it is efficiencies and processes uh, and some of it is administrative, but some of it is faculty governance. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, it, it, that has to change. Uh, when, when to change the title of a course uh, requires a, a long process of, a, of a committees to, to deal with it, uh, that needs to change. This is, we cannot, we should be spending that time in thinking about new online masters, new business right. models, not in changing course right, titles. Right. <laughs> so, Put our energy and talent Exactly. And, and that requires a change, a change of thinking, a, a change of ambition, so of putting your sights high and, and, and shoot for the star. Rafael, this is, this has been terrific. It's it's great having um, you know as you as a partner and friend here in Atlanta, and to see the the work that you have led at Georgia Tech along with Bud Peterson, but really to see how Georgia Tech has really innovated itself and changed the city around it and changed the whole Midtown area around Tech Square, but um, also the literally changing the landscape of education, mm -hmm. particularly um, you know in the in the space of AI, online, new products, et cetera. So thank you well, so much. It's a pleasure. For being thank with you me. very much. That was my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, well this has been Conversations with Mark Becker, a pro podcast produced by Georgia State University. And you've been listening to a conversation with Dr. Rafael Bross, the provost of Georgia Institute of Technology. To hear future conversations with leaders who are helping to shape the future of higher education, you will find conversations with Mark Becker on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on YouTube. Thank you for listening or watching, and remember to subscribe so that you will not miss future episodes. Goodbye and thank you. Goodbye.